and welcome to the Denver Diatribe, a weekly discussion of culture, news, and stuff as it pertains to Denver, Colorado, the most astonishing metropolitan area between Omaha and Salt Lake. This week on the show, John Hickenlooper goes national, more allegations of police brutality against the Denver Police Department, and the battle of the food trucks. With me in studio are Joel Warner, staff writer of Westward, Jared Jakang Mayer of FaceTheState.com, and your host, John Dicker, washed-up author and ex-journalist. All right, let's get to the big uh, New York Times Magazine national spotlight on the Hickenlooper exception by Frank Brunei, former food critic. And famously, the guy who George Bush whispered into Carlos Rove's ear, major asshole. That would be Frank Brunei, not John Hickenlooper, our now our new governor. I, really? That that's the same uh, the same Frank guy. Who, he's the same. He used to be the food critic too. He went from being a political reporter to a food critic, food uh, restaurant critic for I think six or seven years. He wrote that me- uh, memoir of about being a baby bulimic. <laughs> Or am I thinking of the other guy? <laughs> he, wrote, he wrote about his weight issues and the oh, yeah. challenges of being a... It's supposed to be a really good memoir. What do you guys think of the profile? Um, you go first, me, Joel. it reads like every other profile I've ever read about John Hickelooper, which acts like he is God's gift to not just Colorado, but possibly all of humanity. <laughs> um, so you didn't like the write-up? As a I story, mean, as a piece, I mean, did you yeah, think it was no, a good story? I mean, I mean, I found, you know, it was well written. I just, you know, it did seem kind of light and fluffy. You know, it didn't go into some of the criticism I know that Hickenlooper has had from City Hall here in Denver. Though, then again, to, to the national story, probably readers wouldn't find kind of, kind of pithy complaints from local kind of administrators. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I read it and it was... It's, it's like nothing new to us, right? Because we've read so many profiles about Hickenlooper, which always talk about his unique kind of self-effacing political style and his goofiness and that. I, so I haven't, I haven't read that many profiles of him. I, well, I mean, that, that, anything that, negative about John Hickenlooper? Uh, no, I haven't. Yeah. But as as a piece for a national audience, and actually the the story structure itself and the and the narrative that he told, I thought was a really great way to capture who Hickenlooper is. And he's yeah, it's you don't hear a lot of negative things about Hickenlooper, and I think that there's some reasons that uh aren't good but there are some very obvious reasons that he's a pretty likable guy yeah. you know i mean he's a pretty fun guy to be around he's you know he has a few quips in here that uh brunei lays out there that i think just perfectly capture hickenlooper and some of the um you know his humor and sort of his unbeatable um, enthusiasm and do you remember any examples of those like what kind of jumped out of you the, the one quip that he made where he had asked uh hickenlooper about you know now now you're going to be taking on uh, the governorship and Colorado has a $1 billion budget deficit and Hickenlooper quipped, you're nobody if you don't have $1 billion. I mean, my biggest fear is that we get a big kick up in the economy and suddenly it's only $800 million. Then who am I? On the list of governors, I'm, I may become second tier. You know, I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's not something that... You can that, picture saying that. Yeah, that and it's not something like a, like a, a really varnished or um, stayed Mitt, or Mitt careful. Rom- Mitt Romney would never say that. Yeah, th- some of these politicians are so careful and they're so afraid of saying anything of either humor or substance that they just come across as just bland and stodgy and just frankly uninteresting. Yeah, even and when they do shoot from the hip, it's usually so, so off base and so miscalculated that it actually comes off really badly. Well, I think in general, Hickenlooper plays that middle ground pretty well where he's a little bit more kind of free-flowing, a little more relaxed, and yet he's smart enough never to get his foot stuck completely in his mouth. Right. The only, actually, the only time I read bad stuff about Hickenlooper, and I don't remember where, it was the, remember we got nailed with those two blizzards in a row, that whole month of like January and three years ago. 
just the, the snow removal. I mean, it was even like two months after it, there were still snow ruts, you know, on all the side streets. Yeah, I mean, and that's the same. The yeah, people are bringing the pitchforks out for um, Michael Bloomberg there in New York for the same reasons. And the fact that that's like the only thing we can ever think of in his entire uh, two tenures as mayorship that he actually maybe got dinged on or was being heavily criticized about is a testament to how little uh i don't want to say how little accountability but things that would have totally stuck to previous mayors and did to like wellington webb and and pena just slough right off hickenlooper and he's even gotten the um tag from some credits as being like the teflon mayor kind of like this reagan-esque thing where you know this big scandal or some big problem that you think would attach itself to hickenlooper and not let go just seemed to go right past him because of this political jujitsu that he has like every every sort of political or, or angry punch you try and throw at him it just kind of bounces off of him because of this goofy style and people are like hey why are you why are you picking on the dorky guy <laughs> you know leave the dorky guy alone i want to flesh this out a bit you know especially from you jerry because you know, i know you have you you have a lot of sources in city hall and so you probably heard more you know, more complaints in general about Hickelberg than I think most of us have. Why do you think that he has this quote-unquote kind of Teflon style? Like, what is it about Hickelberg that you think really does has made him successful? I think, a, you know, he, he does have the per, his personality, which is, you know, is his legit personality, is funny, is, is self-effacing, but I also think that it's it's very calculated in a way. He's not going to jump into issues or topics or controversies Unless there's something in it for him. Or if, another way to put it, if there's, if there's anything that's going to be maybe politically damaging to him, he avoids it like all hell. One example of this is the recent, uh, I mean, this was maybe last summer, that death at uh, the new city jail, right? That yeah. guy, that um, ho- homeless pastor that uh, had uh, been in there and the um, sheriff's deputies uh, tackled him and I think they tasered him and he died. And that case is still going on in the courts. Well, family was outraged. Everybody's outraged. You know, I think they went up to Hickenlooper's office and he wasn't even there, right? And there, and this was this big political event. But then somehow that didn't really stick to Hickenlooper. It's not like the city council was out there saying, you know, asking Hickenlooper to take action. They were pointing to the, the head of the sheriff's department. They were criticizing the judge. They were criticizing everybody else. But the guy sitting there at the bully pulpit that, you know, is the one that you normally would hold accountable for something like this. So it's all of his, like, lieutenants that seem to get slapped with a lot of the um, responsibilities for when things go wrong instead of the guy that's in the seat of power. It's funny. I think you can you can also look at the gubernatorial election, which he just won. And in some ways, a lot of people have pointed to the fact that, well, in some ways, he just got a big lucky break, right? Because, I mean, the Republicans just kind of he, he, he self-destructed. Did. Yes, in some degree. And so the bigger question, I think, is with all of this stuff, has he just been a really lucky dude? Or is he a, just somehow a better political strategist than most of them Maybe I think it's I think it's a little bit of I think it's a little bit of everything and I think that the the magazine article fleshed that out pretty well. You know, he didn't have any serious challengers at all in, in the gubernatorial race. If he would have had a, a a real credible GOP candidate in that election cycle, I think he would have had the fight for his life. And I think he would have had to go negative. You know, you can't just you know, take showers in your clothes and expect people to, you know, clap and, and laugh and, and, and let you off the hook about things. And that's where these next few months in this next legislative session, 
when they're going to have to deal with the budget, right? There's a humongous budget deficit. He's right now he's saying, oh, we'll bring everybody in. We're going to look for efficiencies. He's really not giving any specifics right now. But at the end of the day, when you're creating this budget, you're either going to have to cut higher education funding or you're going to have to raise taxes, right? Like that's what it comes down to. And wh- which way are you going to go? He's he's going to have to piss somebody off and have people going after him. And a lot of the and the state house is a lot different than Denver City Hall. All right, one closing point, if I may, on the our, this magazine profile really reminded me of another one that the Times Magazine did. I think back in '06 about Brian Schweitzer, the governor of Montana, and it just has that kind of. God, I've gone, I've gone native because I, I, I moved here from New York, but it does have that, uh, East Coast, uh, magazine editor, New York Times, we have to get out of New York. We have to shine a spotlight on some yokel. And, <laughs> and it's, it's just because, you know, Brian Schweitzer, you know, he is a national figure, but he, you know, he didn't, you know, cure the Democratic Party of what ails it. And frankly, neither will John Hickenlooper. And this kind of magazine article kind of just says, hey, this guy might be a national figure, might run for president someday. I had the same reaction. You know, it seems like when these magazines on either coast kind of write about something going on in Colorado or somewhere else between the coasts, they feel like they can't just write a story because it's kind of an interesting story. They need to kind of couch it in the concept that, well, this means something. He can something. break us out of yeah. partisan gridlock, the messiah from the mountain yeah. states. Yeah. The same thing happened yeah. with New Yorker right before the DNC 2008. The New Yorker had a profile of Ritter. Um, and yeah. it was once again this yeah. kind of wishy washy yeah, yeah. thing well, and acted like he was going to be kind of, you know, God's gift to the Democratic Party. Now Ritter's gone. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I'll say one thing in, in closing on this that the theme five years ago or four years ago when the articles about Schweitzer and even Ritter came out, the narrative that they were going by is this is sort of a new style of Western Democrat, right, that is, you know, maybe more pro-gun, um, maybe more conservative on certain issues, but still a Democrat. And is this going to be the future of the party? The narrative that's going on with Hickenlooper is in this era of, of very vitriolic, partisan, political language Here's this guy who kind of really does have a very unique style. And the, and the photo that they have there to go along at the magazine is this big color photo. And I just absolutely love it. It's at the, uh, uh, Museum of Nature and Science there when they have the little displays of the stuffed different animals on display. And it's the wolves. The 1950s and, 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 and these dioramas. And it's like Hickenlooper sort of in the background. There's like five, a pack of wolves sitting there and Hickenlooper's like, walking up behind it and kind of just like <laughs> appearing and looking a little bit confused. And that captures it perfectly because here he is, this goofy guy. You can't help but laugh at him. He's being surrounded by these wolves that just look so serious. And it's just like he just happened upon the scene. I, I love this photo. You'd be serious too if you were in formaldehyde and had people staring at you for <laughs> half a century. Um, all right, let's move on to another actually more serious topic, which is uh, – Recent uh, allegations of police brutality. Um, Joel, you broke this story for Westward. Uh, why don't you give uh, g- give it to us? Okay. The breakdown is is uh, two years ago, this 19 year old college student here in Denver got pulled over late one night for supposedly an illegal left turn. Things quickly spiraled out of control. He got uh, beaten bloody. Had to have like 45 stitches, a broken nose, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Before that, he was uh, taken to the hospital. He demanded that somebody take photos of injuries, which is much more kind of forethought than I would have been able to provide at that at that moment. 
and you, that, and, you, and you posted those photos. Yeah, I posted the photos awesome. and, you know, uh, warned people who might go check them out on Westward. They are pretty graphic. What, what do they it. describe what, what I they mean, look like? It just looks like this kid got worked over just horribly. He's and, like in a neck brace and yeah, he has like blood, blood coming down his, his face. His face looks like plum pudding. Yeah, you know, it's, it's just, it's horrible. Yeah. And I mean, I think those photos will already have spoken louder than any of the words that have and will be written on, the, on this particular topic. Now, there's all the other stuff in terms of it seemed like in the few days after this event, the police kind of shifted their story a bit to make it look more like he allegedly make it look like more like he was reaching for one of the officer's guns and all, you know, the typical kind of back and forth that happens in these cases. But once again, this is just one more story that's come out over the past six months of alleged uh, police excessive force here in Denver that really seems to be kind of capturing the public's attention. To me, the thing that makes this particular police brutality lawsuit different from other ones that have been filed. And the DPD gets lots of lawsuits every single year from people alleging police brutality. Some of them usually, most all of them usually end up in settlement. And um, some of them, you, you have to admit, they're sort of bullshit lawsuits, even even at the face of it. What makes this one stand out to me is the fact that the um, in the complaint, they, they demonstrate how one of the officers change their story later on so they so they the finger, the oops i forgot about the fingerprint i saw yeah yeah it seems like they they were they were jiggering with the evidence there in some of the reports what was the exact thing that what happened was the day after this this incident happened uh, the kid was still in jail one detective emailed over to the police involved um, that he talked to the DA and there's not enough information right now to to charge this kid with attempting to disarm a peace officer, which is, which is what they were claiming. And then in an email response, one of the officers actually used the, used the words, oh, I spaced this in my original report, but I remember seeing a bloody handprint on the back strap of this officer's gun, which then conveniently she, she cleaned off. Yeah. You know, as if to suggest that they actually had a handprint of this guy on this person's gun. Oh, I see, I see. So it yeah. was like, oh, you know, I forgot to mention this at first, but here's some more suggestive information that might help this case in terms of blaming this kid for reaching for this police officer's gun. Hmm. So where does this where does this thing go now, and what's up with these cops? What happened was a few months ago, right after uh, this kid's lawyer sent sent a letter to uh, Mayor Hickenlooper and the city attorney, uh, they opened an internal investigation in this incident because at first, two months after. Uh, this incident, uh, the Internal Affairs Bureau of the police declined to launch investigations saying that the officers involved kind of were acting within police policy. Now, thanks to this letter that was sent a couple months ago, which included these photos by this lawyer, they reopened investigation. And because of that, no one in the city will comment about this because there is an ongoing internal investigation. But has he been placed on leave or anything like that, or is he still on the streets? Do you know? The three police officers, one of which was also involved... In the Michael D. Herrera yeah. one in Lodo. Um, none of them have had any repercussions because, you know, according to uh, the internal investigators... They didn't they, do anything. Yeah, right. they're acting within police policy. Uh, how, how powerful is the uh, police officers' union in, in, in all this? It's pretty powerful. Uh, I think police unions in most big cities are pretty powerful. I think sometimes people are surprised by how much power that the union does have here in Denver because, you know, it's a pretty liberal city. But financially, they have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So they well, and they, and they also have the power to fight any disciplinary charges within 
within the city, whenever they try and fire some of these guys, the police always, the police union almost always fight those, you know, even like giving well, a guy to. like unpaid leave or something like that. There was this guy, Charles Porter, and uh, two other cops who were fired by uh, former safety manager um, uh, Al Cabe. There's this last act. They fire, they fire this guy. Now the police union is fighting against that and appealing that decision and trying to get these guys actually back on the force. So even when it's been clearly demonstrated that cops like Charles Porter are jumping on kids' backs and um, then other cops are lying about it, trying to cover it up, they still are, are can't get these guys off the force. I mean, that that is like the, the, the bar that some of these cases have to clear even within the city. Yeah, I want to respond to that, and I'll point out, point out one other kind of big question. Um, Richard Rosenthal, who I spoke to yesterday, who is the independent uh, monitor for the city, who's kind of the head kind of citizen monitor. He's like the watchdog the over. He pointed out two things. One, these cases of excessive force are really, really difficult to prove. They're actually much harder to deal with than, say, an officer involved shooting, because the officers involved have so much leeway in terms of how much force they can use. It, it's completely subjective. It's really hard. Even if they have video in the cases like the Michael D. Herrera case, it's really rare to have an excessive force complaint sustained. Like anywhere in the country, it's just really, really yeah, rare. Yeah. So it's one point. Yeah. His other, you know, he also had a different point, and maybe he started to cover his butt, but I think it's a valid point. Are things worse in Denver? in terms of police in other cities. And I know statistics have come out, which we've talked about here, that suggests that there are more complaints right now in Denver of excessive excessive force than any other city. Uh, Rosenthal kind of saw it in a different way. He points out that he thinks it's because we actually have a more transparent process than any other big city. The fact that, I mean... The fact that we have have this whole kind of independent monitoring structure that literally monitors every step of the internal investigation. No one in the city... Kind of has it, it is a very process. unique, um, unique process. And, and if the monitor disagrees with the safety manager, in any case, basically kind of he has an obligation to make it public. So he actually has to put it out to the media, which actually has some of these cases like D'Herrera got attention with the fact that Rosenthal, the city monitor, kind of went public with disagreeing with these cases. And moving on to cupcakes. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> How's that for a non-segue? <laughs> All right, the cupcake truck issue. Uh, this is... The whole food truck thing we've we've talked about before, but this is the one of the more popular carts. I think it's fair to say is the cupcake truck, which is their store is based. It's on Kearney and and Twenty Fourth, I think, in, in Park Hill, and they have two trucks, and they're both grounded right now because they say the city's zoning laws are so ambiguous for food trucks that it just does, they don't they don't want to break the law, they don't want to deal with the fines. And just reading through a few stories, I'm totally confused about what the city's, you know, ordinance are. Because they said they got the permit, but you can't, like, you can't park for more than four hours downtown. You can't sell food on you the street. You can't sell food on the street. Like, it's totally em- – so, theoretically, then, are all food carts in Denver illegal? Okay, or food, food trucks? trucks and all these things. Yeah. And so they've actually taken their – they've actually said, well, we're just shutting down our cupcake trucks. trucks. Yeah. And controversy ensued. Yeah. Which to me seems kind of kind of suspicious. I mean, literally, it's a freaking it's freaking snow on the ground, and I think when spring comes around, I bet they'll be back out. Well, I, I have a pretty strong opinion about these this story, but I mean, what what, is, what are your guys' general thoughts about this thing? My big reaction was the fact that Chris Romer, who is a state senator and is running for mayor, kind of has made this his new kind of gimmicky kind of cause. He put out some type of like citizen petition to save the food trucks. Now, this is a guy who's gone from trying to tackle the medical marijuana issue to trying to launch, like, streetcars in Denver. Now he's trying to jump on the food, cake, the food the food truck cupcake issue. And I just don't understand, like, 
Is he trying to like like lure like the sixteen year old boy like voter? So yeah, I mean, it seemed to me like a total political stunt and uh, probably one that he pretty shrewdly jumped on because he did get a bunch of mileage off of it, right? And it's not the sixteen year old boy demographics. What he's going after the to the, the to, no, like the 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 yuppie demographic, right? Like the the park. Do you think people were going to vote for him because he was trying to support the cupcake? Trial? No, but they'll learn about who he is. Yeah, yeah and, and and you know he has this petition, and I saw a bunch of stuff on Twitter going out, and people were saying, you know, this is an outrage. This is so stupid. Uh, you know, I'm definitely. If they're not going to vote for Rona, like John said, they're either going to know so you about think it. Was him. a good move. See, I just thought it was. Crazy. I think it was a good move. I yeah, thought I it was thought totally lame. <laughs> I thought it was not sub- substantive. But well, what's your thought about this whole? Thing? Oh, I think issue. it's so. As I, I think it's an, an interesting issue as far as it being this big controversy that gets all this uh, media coverage and, and outrage among a certain class of people. I think it's totally stupid because <laughs> the. Uh, all the uh, food carts and luncheras and roach coaches there on Federal Boulevard in West Denver or uh, the guys pushing around the carts uh, through North Denver selling um, uh, like those uh, – what are those? Yeah, Mexican yeah, lollipops? <laughs> you probably know what the – yeah. yeah, you don't probably know what it is, John. It seems like a fact that you know. You yeah, know, the guys with the trucks and they're – but they're like specific little uh, yeah, 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 frozen yeah. – uh, I know I know what you're talking about. I don't know the name. Okay. Well, I, I, Okay, I said I sound like Mexican an idiot now, but I am coming to their defense because those guys have been dealing with this particular zoning rule or this particular uh, permitting rule for years and years and years, and you've, it, it's it's only like it becomes something that we're going to get outraged about or going to demand changeover and actually have to organize a what is it a, a food truck advisory committee within the city? Like really, we have a food truck advisory committee within the city. A lot of these city officials are so reluctant to just say we're going to change everything because if you change the rules for that, then you're going to have to be dealing with the um, actual small uh, restaurants and other businesses that actually have locations that are going to be complaining about all these people that are driving around trucks and selling food right in front of their place and, and cutting into their business. That's why they have some of these distance requirements. That's why they say that you you know you have to have permission from a property owner before you can be there. So I, I think that it's you know, just like a thing people get really upset about because they say, well, we want our, we want our cupcakes and eat them too. I just made that up. (laughs) John? I I just Cupcake defender? Um, no, I, I, fine. (laughs) Screw you, Jared. Uh, no, I, I I like the idea of, uh, some sort of sensible zoning wherein, the food trucks could go to the people, for lack of a better word, and we don't have to – like, the thing that they have at Civic Center Park is kind of cool, but it it's kind of a little food truck ghetto gimmick. And the idea of these food trucks, like you said, on Federal, is it goes to where where people work and where where it makes sense. And right now, like, I would use the food trucks more if they were somewhere more convenient yeah. to me. But, yeah, you're right. You Zoning stuff is there for a reason, and I don't know why the city hasn't done a better – job of at least communicating what the rules are because i've read three stories on this and i'm still totally confused that's... i think that's because the city's confused okay i think right now there's been some serious clashes behind the scenes in terms of certain people in the zoning who like <laughs> who basically just completely kind yeah, of off, off microphone joel just mouthed the name of a of a certain uh <laughs> spokesperson there in, in the city <laughs> i'm not going to say more on that but yeah i just think people you know this thing has developed so quickly i don't think people me know what to do with it. I think it was the same thing with the whole kind of uh, chicken in the city thing last last year. Where like, oh, that's still going yuppies, on. Yeah, but you know, all these kind of jumped on the raising chickens, and then the city didn't really know what the rules were. 
right. Well, let's let's move on to uh, to love and hate. What do you got, Jared? I am going to do a non-hate. It's not a love. It's not a hate. It is a. I am declaring. I don't think that I hate uh, Ryan Warner and Colorado Public Radio. What? I, I have been sort of silent on this issue. I haven't really jumped into the fray as you guys have in your um, very – oh, don't don't walk away, Joel. Uh-oh. I'm out of this, here. This, this podcast's over. You know, I was listening to the Colorado Public Radio the other day. I think that they have – you know, they had a pretty good story. They had one about the city of Centennial and sort of this issue of how much – should cities outsource in terms of public services? And I thought it was actually pretty well done. Was this on Colorado Matters or was this just – Colorado Matters. Okay. Colorado Matters. Ryan Warner talking to uh, one of his producer reporters about this issue. And I'm I'm just – I just thought I'd finally throw it out there. I don't hate Ryan Warner. I don't hate him personally. I've never met him. I, I just think he's – I just think the show is, is substandard and is a – near parody of an NPR, a wonky NPR show. Yeah, but I mean, if we're going to be criticizing uh, Ryan Warner, because, don't don't sigh at me, because, you know, he might have these, like, another interview with septuagenarian veterans about uh, their feelings on elder care, right? <laughs> but some of our past episodes, we sat down there and wonked out with Ken Treppel about, you know, the options for RTD's Fast Tracks line for, like, 15 minutes and I was listening to it, and I'm like, "Wow, this is getting in, this is getting pretty close." To yeah, Ryan but we Warner's say right? "fuck." Okay, yeah. that makes a difference. Ryan Warner has never said "fuck" in his life. Okay, that that's my that's okay. my non-hate. Oh, okay. All right, Joel. Okay, I have a love. Oh man! After that, <laughs> give us some love. Well, fine. Well, like, I guess first I'm gonna hate on Jared's non-hate, but now I'm gonna move on to my love, which is this kind of this kind of concept that we have this interim uh, mayor named. Uh, his name uh, Bill Vidal, mm-hmm. who just got sworn not, in. Not Gore Vidal. Yeah, yeah, I actually <laughs> made that mistake on, on the radio a little while ago. <laughs> but, I mean, I mean, like this is me being hopelessly optimistic, which is this concept that here we have this guy who's going to be mayor for, what, like four months? I'm not running for office at any point, I think, in the future either. Seems like a pretty liberal guy. Like, just this concept of maybe, just maybe he will, he will pull something, like, crazy out of his ass. Like, maybe, like, allow, like, same-sex marriages. You know, I mean, I mean... In some ways, it's his perfect potential to do something really cool here in the city. Of course, he won't do it, but like I'm just gonna love on this crazy idealistic kind of hope that maybe we have this four month mayor who's gonna do something really cool. What? What? You're gonna love next on on UF on, on aliens because they might come down, you know, from planet. Well, I'm certainly not gonna love on Ryan Warner. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, my my hate, which is hate light, is uh, because I they are an important institution, and I'm so glad they're here. But god damn it, tattered cover bookstores, you gotta have some titles on your shelves. Seriously. You go there and you look for pretty well-known authors. I can rattle off, I can't rattle off, uh, that many titles off the top of my head, but there's been at least four or five instances where I go there, a pretty, you know, something that's- Which tattered cover are you talking about? Both? The, um, I, the one on Colfax. Okay. And there's, it's just not on the shelf. So, and I think it's because their new store doesn't have the, the shelving space. I don't know, or they're gonna, Put everything in the premium tables of, you know, be- new releases, bestsellers, blah, 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 which I guess they have to do to save money. But, and their staff there is fantastic, but they just don't have titles on the shelves when you, cause I, I go there and I shop that for, you know, last minute gifts a lot and I want to patronize them, but they, there's just nothing on the shelves. Are you hating on Tatter Cover? Uh, a little bit. Oh. I'm a dick. All right, that's all me being a dick we have time for. Uh, make sure you check out our Twitter feed, at Denver Diatribe, our Facebook page, which you can link to on our website, denverdiatribe.com. For Joel and Jared, I'm John Dicker, and we are out. Bye.